When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing, Tim Ryder from the Apple. Uh, hey guys, we finally got some news, isn't that fun? It's been a absolutely uh, just painful winter so far, my goodness. Yeah, it was nice that the Mets got all that stuff in before the buzzer, but uh, boy, it's just been desolate <laughs> ever since. This is getting ridiculous. But uh, the Mets did make a little bit of uh, waves today. Actually, you know what, before we get into the Mets... Kick it off with a few words on our buddy Ken Rosenthal. Ken Rosenthal is a Long Island kid, so of course, Ken, we've got your back here. Um, Ken Rosenthal, of course, you know, national baseball writer, probably what you would call the leading voice in the game, um, you know, just of that stature, without a doubt. So back, I guess, last summer during the uh, the COVID negoti- uh, negotiations when they were trying to get a season squeezed in in 2020. According to Andrew Marchand of the New York Post, who broke this news, I guess this was during the day on Monday it came out. And then, of course, Rosenthal addressed it later in the evening. But uh, And, of course, you know, all class. Thank you for the time there. But uh, apparently it was because Rosenthal was um, overly critical of Commissioner Rob Manfred during the, uh, the COVID negotiations last year. And... Uh, yeah, apparently they uh, they shut him down. They took him off the air for a few months, but they brought him back on. And this is on MLB Network. Um, brought him back on for the trade deadline, and then a few months after, his contract expired. And it just so happens on on Monday, we heard that uh, he was let go from MLB MLB Network, and he's still at the Athletic. And of course, you know he's still doing what he does, and I'm sure he's still at Fox Sports, which you see him on the national games every week. But for for Major League Baseball to you know, okay, so if they weren't going to renew his contract, which was, you have to assume, back when the season ended, um, they would have said something then. But, like, kind of holding this in their back pocket, it, it almost feels like it wasn't a coincidence. And, of course, you know, MLB's been um, taking a lot of heat. This lockout has not reflected kindly on the league. Um, you know, they're, oh, we're, we're locking out to uh, to prevent uh, a long lockout to prevent a long uh, any any labor unrest for a long period of time and all that you know everybody kind of saw through that and we so we said that on the show back when the lockout was taking place that you know this is a smarter breed of fan this is a uh, a more connected fans uh, fan base to the game um you know in 1994 all you had was newspapers and friends and sports radio. Now you have Twitter. Now you have people who see through all of the, uh, the hogwash. And that, that's what, you know, that's kind of what the whole, Oh, we're going to lock out the players to avoid a long, a long delay. And, uh, you know, since then they haven't even spoken. I believe news broke again on Monday that, uh, the sides weren't even, aren't even scheduled to meet. There's nothing on the schedule right now. And, you know, we're pushing, 
I guess a little under five weeks until spring training. This is um, a little under six weeks, my apology, until uh, until spring training. So, I mean, obviously the uh, <laughs> there was a bit of a landslide as far as PR mess on the league side and, you know, change the narrative. Let's, let's go ahead and break the news that Ken Rosenthal's being let go by uh, MLB Network, which, again, he, he's, he was on MLB Central in the afternoons for – Oh, gosh, years. I would say at least a decade. I, I believe he included it in his tweet. But it, it was over 10 years, without a doubt. Um, you know, to, to, to go off now and say, oh, no, you're off, and, and let it and let it leak that it's because he was critical, that's just, it's almost got like a, 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 a spritz of totalitarianism to it. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of scary that, that Manfred wields his power as he does. Um, you know, this... And, and, Somebody mentioned it on Twitter, like, oh, you know, he should be focused on on advancing the game, on growing the game. That's not really his job. Manfred's job is to protect the owner's interests and protect the owner's investments and to grow those investments. It's not a, I mean, of course, you know, growth of the game and profits should go hand in hand, but <laughs> it seems like uh, the league is more concerned with that guaranteed TV money and those you know, billion dollar deals with major networks and, you know, streaming is going to be a part of it soon. And, you know, these guys are just trying to keep their bottom lines intact. It's, um, it's, it's painfully transparent. It's, it's obvious that this news was leaked to, uh, to kind of take away from everything. And it worked for a couple of hours and then everyone else kind of realized like, come on guys, this is, you have more pressing matters at the moment. You know, you don't want to lose spring training time. You don't want the entire league scrambling to sign the remaining pool of unsigned free agents. You don't want the mess. It's a black eye in the game. We talked about it last week on the on the show. We talked about it this past weekend at the Apple. By the way, Happy New Year, everybody. Um, yeah, I think December 31st, New Year's Eve, I put out just, just some thoughts on where this thing stands. And it's it's gotten to the point that it's... Um, it could be very damaging, but yeah, they tried to detract from that by by releasing the, the Rosenthal news, and then they they tried to toss in some other news as well. But we're going to save that for the second half of the show because we have a guest to discuss with us. It's just uh, multi layered bullshit, and that's you know, I guess that that's where Major League Baseball is at right now, and we've seen it you know happen time and again. So it is what it is. But let's get into the Mets. The Mets did make some news on uh. On Tuesday, our buddy Raul Ramos over at Con Las Basis Full. Um, Raul is a great follow, a very good friend, a huge supporter of, of myself as a creator of the Apple, of the, the podcast, um, really good guy, uh, reported, I guess, early in the day on Tuesday that the Mets and uh, former Pirates third base coach Joey Cora were in discussions to, uh, to add Cora to uh, Buck Show Walters coaching staff, which of course is outside of Jeremy Hefner is completely bare. Um, if you remember, I guess right after the season ended, I believe it was that first week, uh, the team cut ties with bench coach Dave Jouse, assistant pitching coach Jeremy Accardo, bullpen coach Ricky Bonez, uh, third base coach Gary DeSarcina, uh, Tony Tarasco was a first base coach, let all those guys explore new opportunity, uh, new employment opportunities. Uh, assistant hitting coaches Kevin Howard and Hugh Quattlebaum were reassigned within the organization back into their their minor league roles, uh, presumably. 
And the Mets didn't have much of a coaching staff. But again, with this downtime, they can kind of take their time and, and find the right parts and find the right guys to kind of complement this roster and, and Buck's style. And I guess Showalter even said during his press conference when he was introduced that he usually doesn't hire buddies for his coaching staff. He, he, he talks about making hires that kind of best fits the, uh, the team's needs. And in this case, you know, I'm sure they did their homework and they landed on Joey Cora. Joey Cora, he's got, you know, of course, he's the Red Sox manager, Alex Cora's older brother. Um, he's got a, you know, an intricate history in the game. Um, spent 11 years in the majors as a player. I think I have his numbers here. Hit 277, 348, 369. Uh, just over 1,000 hits, 171 doubles, 117 stolen bases. Played for the Padres, White Sox, Mariners, and the Indians. Retired after 1998. Um, you know, after that, I guess he spent a year as a hitting coach in the Cubs minor league system. Moved on to the Mets organization. He was the Mets manager in Kingsport for two years, 2001 and 2002. Uh, succeeded by Mookie Wilson in 2003, who eventually made it up to the uh, to the major league coaching staff. And then Cora moved over to uh, Chicago, uh, Ozzie Guillen who was his teammate in Chicago for a number of years, was the White Sox manager, hired in 2003, brought Cora along as a, I guess, a third base coach. He was their drill instructor, well, drill coordinator during spring training. This is all per Wikipedia. I'm not that knowledgeable on the subject. But uh, they won their World Series there in 2005. In 2006, uh, Cora was elevated to bench coach. They stayed there through 2011. I believe that was a bit of a uh, <laughs> a messy breakup. I think Guillen was let go with like a week left in the season, and the team said that Cora would manage the last two games of the year. Then they let him go too <laughs> with like three days left in the season or something like that. Um, you know, landed in Miami again with Guillen. Uh, they were there for, I believe, only a year. Uh, I'm sorry, no. They were there for like four years. And... Uh, left Pittsburgh, left Miami for Pittsburgh, was their double-A manager in Altoona in 2016. And then he moved up to the Pirates uh, coaching staff at the Major League level, became their third base coach, and he was there from 2017 through last year. So, you know, they have experience. Uh, I did see a tweet or a stat floating around on Twitter. Um, the Pirates were towards the top of the league in outs made on the base path going from third to home. So, I mean, I don't mind that terribly. It's um, it's aggressiveness. That's fine. And they had speed there, and they were, you know, they have a young team. And, uh, you know, I guess that's fine. And it kind of all probably comes from a, um, a, a, a team-wide push where guys were going to be more aggressive. You know, Cora is going to send you guys from third. Be ready for it. I know I saw a clip of Wilmer Defoe. I want to say on um, this is from maybe 2019 uh, scoring from third on Roberto Clemente. They were wearing Roberto Clemente jerseys and it was a, you know, a gutsy step. I believe you could probably look for it. It's Wilmer Defoe's walk off with Pittsburgh. Uh, I, I think it's 2019. I could be wrong though. And you know, it's a gutsy send, but it's a it's an aggressive send. We're okay with that. And, you know, we don't know how this is going to pan out. We don't know what his style's like. But, you know, having um, – I think having a Latino voice in the clubhouse should be very, uh, very helpful. Um, of course, they still have to fill out their bench coach, their hitting coach. You know, they have a lot of roles to fill out 
among the uh, the major league staff. But you know that's all well and good. I think it's uh, you know a piece at a time. They got Buck in place. Now they have Joey Cora in place, and they're kind of just uh, moving on from there. I mean, you know, roster wise, of course, they're on the freeze, but you know they could still. They still have work to do, and there's still a lot of work that can be done. I know we spoke last on the last show, and I guess on the Apple as well, uh, Jeff McNeil, who's, of course, been mentioned as a trade candidate, and the Mets are shopping for pitching, hopefully dangling, well, hoping to dangle McNeil and, and get themselves uh, maybe attach a prospect because, you know, yeah, unless you're picking up a back-end starter, and maybe that's all they're looking for, but... You know, if you want to get a better starter, I know we talked about the guys in Cincinnati, the Luis Castillos, the Sonny Grays, John Means, if he's available and within reason as far as price. You know, for these guys, you'll have to attach more to McNeil. But, you know, even if the Mets wanted to go into the free agent market, you know, at this point, I mean, they can fill out their rotation with another top flight guy and just go with the depth they have or even add more depth pieces. And, you know, all the starting pitching in the world is a good thing. But, I mean, look at what they have now. If you look at their staff now, you have Jake, Max Scherzer, Cookie Carrasco, Taiwan Walker, Tyler McGill, David Peterson, Jordan Yamamoto. You have Joey Lucchese and Thomas Zipucki both working their way back from injuries. Uh, Lucchese was the Tommy John, and Zipucki was a ulnar nerve surgery. So I don't even know his time frame, but... Uh, both, I believe, should be ready at some point during the year. You know, you have uh, Adam Aller, who had a terrific year in the minors last year. He's really gaining some buzz. As a, <laughs> I asked, it's funny, I asked Jacob about Adam Aller, you know, D- Jacob Resnick, uh, early in the season. I'm like, what's up with this guy? He's like, he's not really a prospect. He's an older older pitcher. I think he's 27. And now he's, you know, he's making waves. I think the Mets protected him uh, from the Rule 5 draft. So, you know, maybe they have a spot for him. Uh, Jose Rodriguez, who was a rookie with Anaheim in 2020, and the Mets went out and uh, and brought him on during the offseason. So they have some depth here. But, you know, even if they wanted to dip onto the free agent side, they still have – well, one, of course, you know, you have to assume they have money to spend because why stop at 260 – Break three hundred, go all out, three hundred million. They're like, I think they're at like two sixty three million estimated. That's per Fangraphs. But yeah, if you're gonna go that high, you might as well just break three hundred and say, yeah, we're here to win. But you know, if you look, you could look up and down the 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 free the available starting pitching free agents, and there's a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of very intriguing names out there. I mean, you have your Kershaws and your, your Grankies and your Carlos Rodones. Um, you know. Whether the Mets go out and get, I mean, honestly, bringing in Kershaw or Granke to be your fifth starter or, you know, anyone in that back three after Max and Jake, um, you know, interchangeable. It doesn't matter where they are in the rotation. They're solid pitchers. But, you know, if you had a Kershaw or Granke, oh, my goodness, you're talking about possibly the best rotation this franchise has ever seen. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's Rodon is a, is a, a very intriguing guy. I love his fastball. Um but you have to wonder where – I don't know. Which way you go with that? I kind of see them going on a one-year deal, letting whatever else they have bubbling, letting whatever else ideas they have kind of breathe and and evolve and, and take it from there. I wouldn't be against a Kershaw or a Granke coming in on a one-year deal. But then you also have guys like you say, Kikuchi, uh, Matt Boyd, Martin Perez – 
I like Jose Urena. I like Julio Tehran. Um, I think both of those guys on on Show Me deals could give you something. Uh, Carlos Martinez, who spent so all that time with in St. Louis, I don't even think he's thirty years old yet. Chris Archer, I know he had the uh, thoracic outlet, but I believe he was getting healthy again. If he's available, man, if he's ready to go, you know what? I don't even know if he's available now. Now that I say his name, I want to say that he's he might have got injured again, but. Either way, just an option, something to explore. I would look into it. Just, you know, on show-me type deals, add the depth. Have these guys ready to go just in case, you know, the shit hits the fan, which we've seen it happen so many times in the past. Um, Stephen Brault from uh, from Pittsburgh, who was surprisingly let go at the, the, the non-tender deadline. I would certainly be in on him. I guess, you know, we've seen him uh, off the field. I saw him on the Chris Rose rotation a few times this year, which is always really entertaining. But, you know, all these available arms and with what we've seen happen in the past as far as injury striking, having, you know, solid, proven, capable arms that are ready to go at a moment's notice is a good thing. I mean, and that's not nothing against your your Yamamoto's, your Adam Allers, or your Jose Rodriguez's, but, um, you know, having a, a Matt Boyd or a, a Yusei Kikuchi or a Martin Perez or a Carlos Martinez coming up first, and I don't want to include McGill and Peterson because they've come up and shown really nice things. Our buddy Jack, Jolly Olive, over at John Boy. Um, actually, this is on his own YouTube page. Uh, just put up a terrific video on Tyler McGill. Please check that out. And, you know, he could certainly I, – I still wouldn't be shocked if the Mets go six-man rotation. Um, I, you know, they're going to have options, and options are always, always a good thing. So I guess we'll have to see where they go. But as far as who else to bring in, I mean, you don't have to stop at a trade here. You don't have to say, oh, well, who, who are we going to get for Jeff McNeil? They have other options that won't cost an arm and a leg. And even if they do, you know, come in over $15 million, they're going to be on short-term deals. I'm looking at, you know, your Kershaws or your Grankies. But, you know, even if it's Kikuchi, if he wants to come east, you have to imagine that he's going to um, want to stay west just from how his signing uh, period went down. But, you know, the Mets can certainly, with what's left out there, uh, really, really reinforce this roster and take it to special places. But on that note, we're going to take a very, very quick break. We're going to talk to our buddy Mitch, Mitch Botanic, Money Mitch P. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Fanatics. You know, a few months ago, we uh, they came out from out of the shadows and kind of stole the Major League Baseball and the MLBPA players licensing uh, deals out of the uh, out of the blue from Tops and. Uh, on Tuesday, it was announced that Fanatics has gone out and bought Top, so they're back in business. So Mitch is going to come in and join us and talk to us about that. And uh, yeah, hang tight. We'll take a quick break and be right back. All right, we are back as promised. Money, Mitch P. Mitch Botanic is with us, returning to the show, triumphant return, some might say, to uh, to talk about this uh, latest news of uh, the revival of Tops. Tops has a second life. Money, Mitch P. What's happening, man? What's up, Timmy? Happy New Year. How you been? Happy New Year to you, my friend. Doing well. Doing well. Getting through this, uh, these wild times. Things are wild. And in the baseball card world, it's a little wild right now, but I think it's a breath of fresh air for everyone. I agree. So last time we talked, I think that was the last time you were on the show, was when in the, in the summer, I believe it was August. 
after their 70 year run, Tops lost their license to uh, to Fanatics for MLB and uh, MLBPA licensing rights to make baseball cards. And uh, for all by all uh, for all intents and purposes, they were uh, they were done. Um, I know yeah, we were was- a little a little shocked at it. Um, at the time, did you expect a, a merger would be on the um, on the horizon? I know we kind of broached it, but I guess there was so many unknowns. I think tops needed a way out if that makes sense and at the same time fanatics knew that the tops brand was just too valuable to they 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 almost had no choice but to form a i guess you could call it a partnership but really it was fanatics buying out tops but coming together because um i think we're gonna get the best of both worlds now and i think tops was at a uh, a point where they were looking down the road and saying, we only have, you know, another couple of years. I think they lose their, their player's license. So if you don't have the player's license, um, you know, they had to move pretty quickly. And I think Fanatics saw this was the right time to do it. Um, so they can hit their ground running. And, you know, they, they incorporate tops and we keep that, that brand, that image that's been a part of baseball lore for you know 70 years you keep that tradition going and it's just almost like hopefully it just keeps evolving now you would think so i mean and even since the announcement it almost appeared like tops had like checked out i mean between product delays um (laughs) you know the actual cuts on the cards themselves um the centering the i I saw a quad uh, uh, so it was four cards that were cut in the center of the intersection of four cards. So it was a card with four card sections on it. Somebody popped it on Twitter. So, I mean, and it seemed like tops had like checked out and that was, um, you know, I think everybody who follows the, uh, the hobby knows about their, I guess, Bowman's first edition. They, uh, they just absolutely blew that release out of the water. Um, they were supposed to release 50, 50 pack boxes. Uh, this was, going back, I think, 90 days now or at least two months. Yeah. Yeah. And they, people are just, they're just receiving them on Tuesday. I just saw someone with their box. All it is is a cardboard box with 50 packs of baseball cards in it. Like, that's just, it, it appears like they had checked out. I think you're right. I think this is going to be a lifeline from from Fanatics to kind of revive the brand. I mean, the hobby's been back in the swing of things, but this is, um, you know, Tops was, was, visibly slipping i think this is going to be huge for them they were and i think it's coming listen th- this sort of deal doesn't happen overnight and you know it may have seemed that way because all of a sudden we hear the news and it was so quiet for so long but it's been in the works for a while and could it be some of the reasons why we saw some of those production issues and stuff like that because um you know maybe they knew this was coming down the line i mean let, let's face it if you knew that you were going to retire from work, you know, in a year or let's say in two months, um, are you going to put in that same effort knowing that you have, you know, the the light is at the end of the tunnel for you? Um, Probably not. I would hope that (laughs) as a company like Tops for so long, that this is hopefully just coincidences. But like, like we said, this is a breath of fresh air now. It's all going to be put behind, um, behind us as collectors and in the industry hopefully will 
get to see what Fanatics is actually going to bring to the table a heck of a lot faster than we all anticipated because we thought these licenses weren't going to kick in until, you know, four years down the line in some cases. And now we're going to get to see this. I mean, right away, they're able to have input on manufacturing, on the creation, the style of the cards now. So um, it's still going to have that tops, you know, that, that tops logo and brand, but it's going to have that fanatics flair to it. And I think now it's going to be kind of cool to see what they do. Oh, I agree a hundred percent. And it's not just MLB that they're getting with tops. Tops has formula one racing, which is huge right now. They have like four different soccer leagues. I know they got champions league. They got, I can't even say the, the, the German league's name. I don't want to butcher it. Start with this Bundesliga. Thank you. I didn't want to, I didn't want to mess it up. <laughs> um, and now Fanatics also has licensing rights from NBA and NHL as well, correct? They do, but similar to um, the way it was with uh, Tops, that they don't get those full exclusive rights for, I can't remember if it's the players. Do they have the Players Association or not the league? One of the two, it's going to take a couple of years, so who knows if something else is coming along those lines, but I think Panini is just too big right now. I think Tops was a little bit more for them to, first of all, it's, it's just an iconic brand. So if yeah. you're going to take one of them and pick one to buy, that's the one. If I'm Fanatics now, I'm not going for Panini. I'm going, where would you go to me? Because I know where I would go. I want to see where you would go. If you were Fanatics and you could buy, you know, buy out another one, like you just bought out tops, what would be the next one? It's got to be a car. It's got to be like a, a card production thing. Yeah. Like, I, would, I, would, I would go after BGS. I would go after the grading company. I would, I would go right up against PSA. I, you, you are probably one of the biggest sports memorabilia companies in the world right now. And you got all this momentum. I would go buy yeah. Beckett. I would go right up to PSA's front door and be like, let's do it. You're actually that that's not where my head was at, but that's actually pretty smart because now you have two of the most iconic names that come along with baseball cards. And we know that they want to bring in that grading facet as well to do that in-house. Maybe it's not in-house as everyone thought. Maybe it is through buying a Beckett. My head was at upper deck because I want the Jordan. I want the LeBron. I want those autographs to be back on cards again. Yeah, so oh, was, I mean, that's where I would go. I wouldn't mind seeing Upper Deck jump into baseball again either, just to kind of spread it out. Those designs and the photography on the old '90s Upper Decks were were elite. Yeah. There was nothing like them. Those collectors, uh, the collector series, the um, collector's choice, uh, just unbelievable. The beauty of um, fanatics doing this is we will have an opportunity to see that again if they go out and they and they do buy the Upper Decks and stuff like that. That's the only way we'll see it, but they'll have to bring them under the umbrella. And then it could get back to the way it was in the, you know, early 2000s where you had different card companies all producing uh, cards for these different leagues. And it just brought a different flair to it. And everyone had licensing. I mean, obviously it would all be fanatic still, but we get that the upper deck photography and what you're talking about. And I mean, they had so many just phenomenal brands. I, I will stick to this and, and, and I'll die on this hill that Upper Deck changed the game for the card industry. Like they brought 
they're the ones that brought these beautiful patch autographs when they introduced exquisite. They introduced all this stuff that we still have around today. Obviously, it's under Panini and stuff like that. They've taken it to the next level. But it started with Upper Deck. Yeah. You know, they're the ones that changed the game. They're the ones that I believe it was the first time I saw holograms was um, Upper Deck back in the day. Yeah. Um, and like oh, the, Denny's, the Denny's like card. Sticker. Do you remember yeah, the Denny's? I, Denny's upper deck cards. I and they had like uh the players with Looney Tunes characters. So I had like a uh, Nolan Ryan with a Tweety Bird on his chest or something, and, and Frank Thomas playing baseball with Bugs Bunny or something. It was awesome. Yeah. So upper deck really did a lot to bring the 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 card industry forward, and, and it has a lot to do with what we see today. And I don't know if people know necessarily know that, um, especially the newer collectors, how much Upper Deck impacted the the, the industry from the photography on the uh, you know the '89 Upper Deck set and those sets back then. They're the ones that pushed Tops to come out with like Stadium Club. Now Stadium now Tops had to come out with you know another product. That's the fear that I have with everything falling under Fanatics is. Back then, when you had all these competitors, they were pushing each other to innovate. Now, under Fanatics, if everything's under the same umbrella, who's going to push them to innovate? Customers are going to have to push them. But at that point, that's not how innovation happens. You need, you need that friction. Like, you know, WWE and WCW, that's when it was at its peak when they were going at each other on Monday night, you know, Monday night Nitro, Monday night Raw. You had the competition. But then once it all got under WWE, yeah, sure, it's still cool. It's still a great product, but there's no real competition pushing them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, and without, and without, the, out the, without the external pressure, and it's just kind of all under the same roof, yeah, you might have different names. You might have a, a, a tops and an upper deck or, or whatever. You know, maybe they bring back Pacific or something for NFL. Who knows? Uh, they can yeah. go in any direction they want right now. And they, they, I think if they do it right, they can really take things to the next level. But like you said, there's got to be that internal innovation. There's got to be that challenge amongst themselves to keep on bettering themselves. And I think tops kind of, you know, with the, uh, the, whether it's, the releases, the, the, the serial numbered cards, um, refractors, you know, high, you know, different, different ends of product, whether you got your, you know, $2,000 three card box where you have, you could pull a $10,000 autograph or whatever, you know, yeah. you have all these different options. And I think ultimately it's just going to just going to be mean. Well, I guess what's, what's the phrase I'm looking It's all going to trickle down to the consumer in a yep. in a positive way and, and as long as they keep their product up which i think that you have to uh, you have to think that the whole industry or the whole hobby learned from their mistakes of whether it was the early 90s whether it was even over the last few years just kind of missteps you know yep. they're keeping logs of these things i think it the you know to the moon as they say yeah and that's what you hope that fanatics does come up with that mentality that hey we see what we listened to everything this and we're going to come in and and we're going to fix these pain points but at this point like i can't compare it to anything other than fanatics is like wwe when they finally you know were conquered and everyone kind of started falling under that wwe umbrella where 
the product is still great and people still watch it and love it. But would they be better off having a bunch of different wrestling, you know, same thing with cards, all the card companies pushing themselves, all the same licenses, pushing each other to innovate. That died when, you know, they gave exclusivity to the different manufacturers and, and producers um, because nobody pushes tops on the baseball side of it, right? So, yeah, they come out with some cool products here and there. But at the end of the day, people are buying their product regardless because they love the licensing, that, you know, and it's tops. Yeah. Panini couldn't compete with that. Like, maybe they could because they do. We've talked about this. Panini puts out some pretty awesome-looking baseball oh. cards. Gorgeous, gorgeous. Oh, they're 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 national treasures and they're flawless baseball. You, you don't find much nicer. I know they got Topps Dynasty, but give me a national treasures or a flawless patch auto of a car of a player on a card and flawless or, or national treasures with a logo on it, and that by far would blow. Uh, Topps Dynasty is great. Don't get me wrong, but that is just. It's another level. I don't know how to explain it. Like, and it's just me. And that's what's beautiful about collecting. Everyone has their own perspectives. Everyone collects for their own reasons. And you got to respect that. For me, like, I love the Panini baseball product. I just don't like that there's no licensing. So yeah. now if, if Fanatics could bring a lot of these things and who knows what they're going to do with Panini down the line, or maybe they just buy out certain products from these companies, who knows? But I think at the end of the day, we're still going to see these cards being produced with the logos that we used to see in them, but with like a also a fanatics logo. So it's going to be, you know, tops and fanatics. We're going to see it as tops, but it's going to be a fanatics product. Just like now all these other companies used to be around absolute memorabilia and, you know, all these other companies. And now they all kind of fall under the Panini uh, because, you know, Donruss, all these companies were separate and now Panini kind of owns them all. I think we're going to see, that happening especially now that tops um it's like it's like when uh wcw signed uh hulk hogan you know what i mean that's almost yeah. like you know now you're seeing one of the biggest names getting signed and it's like oh man this is all becoming very real yeah i think it's and gonna it's be i mean you have to think that i mean the hobby peaked itself i mean over the last four or five years just my goodness what a <laughs> just a sustained peak almost. And it's had its dips. And I mean, baseball, especially it almost got stale. It gets stale around a certain time of year. Cause you know, everybody loves flagship. You know me, I love my series one and series two. Most baseball collectors, you know, it sits on shelves. You can go on tops.com and probably get a box of series one or series two. Like it's, um, they need to, they need that innovation you're talking about to kind of spice that product up. And then, oh, forget about it. If you haven't, uh, you know, let's say an upper deck or, you know, if tops is, if there's another line, if there's another, if they bring, you know, incorporate a Don Russ or, I mean, I know Don Russ is Panini, but, you know, something along those lines where they are competing against themselves. Cause you look at Panini football, you look at, you know, I like absolute football. I think they're gorgeous cards. Like, yep. they're, and they're not really, heavily valued by the hobby. Like if you try to go out and sell them, but they're just beautiful cards and right. Like to what you were getting at, that strikes a chord with me. I love that stuff. Back when SP authentic came out for the first time, like that was like, Oh my God, look at these things. These are beautiful. They're pieces of art. And they've just yep. gone, you know, tenfold with that. Now. A lot, a lot of what's happening now though, is 
Um, you have all these older iconic brands like Absolute Memorabilia and Donruss and this and that, and they're becoming chase products. And what I mean by that is like, like Absolute Memorabilia, like you were saying before, it's not really highly valued as a, a standalone product. Their card values on the secondary market, if I get a rookie and I try to sell it, it's not going to bring in, you know, the big bucks. I'm not going to be able to <laughs> money. You know, you're just not going to. But the lore there is like the kaboom. So the kaboom has taken over as the, that one into downtown. So whenever you right, see right. those in stats, and the, if you notice, they tend to put these types of inserts in the lower end products because it gets the lower end product out off the shelves because yeah. people would not opt to buy these products probably the way that they do now. I'm not saying that they'd be completely ignored because obviously some people love it and just buy it because they love it. But that shape factor is what drives a lot of collectors to these products that they normally would not collect. Um, I mean, that's what drives those high end products is, you know, the national treasures and the flawlesses. It's, you know, not only are they beautiful cards, but the allure there is I'm going to pull potentially a six figure card. <laughs> and that's, that's no joke. So you really could. Yeah. It's the chase. The chase drives, um, drives the market for the most part. You have the chasers and then you have the people that just love to collect for, for collecting. That's what I basically boiled down to. So you have some people chasing the big cards because they love the thrill of the hit. And then you have the ones that just love, their particular team that particular player whatever they like to collect so um that's what it it, and there's a little bit of both and you know i'm a little bit of both i love collecting some stuff and then some things i'm just in it for the chase i mean gotta be gotta be real and honest with yourself yeah no and then that's you know i think every you know every weekend i sit down and look at my cards and i have a different idea of where i want to go with it now you you were saying to me you were telling me off the air that you're actually thinking about stepping away from the hobby for a little bit right yeah i gotta i'm, I'm just kind of gonna step away press the reset button and get back to i always love the retro and the um vintage aspect of collecting and over the past couple of years i got more into the chase side of it so i'm gonna shift gears and i'm not like completely saying i'm i'm, I'm retiring i'm just giving up that side of the the uh the card um i guess you could say game where i'm not in it for the chase anymore i'm in it because i want to get cards or and collectibles that actually are meaningful and not that i'm just trying to find that lotto ticket or hit that lotto ticket. It's about, you know, the vintage cards. That was something that I've always loved is, is the vintage aspect of it and holding something in your hand that's been around since the 1950s, 60s, and so much history. Like there's so much in this industry that, and this hobby that um, there's so much history. Right. And a lot of times we get caught up in the now and they, you know, they always tell you, you know, if you hear about mindfulness and stuff, Oh, you're supposed to live in the now you stay in the now. Yeah. That's cool. I get it when it comes to mindfulness, but when it comes to the hobby, like there's so much history that, you know, that we kind of take for granted because we're all, if you go through social media, everyone's in it for the chase man. the majority of people are in there just chasing. 
chase and chase and chase. You end up chasing your tail and you don't appreciate um, a lot of this stuff. So for me, it's not really a step away. It's like a step back, reset, and, um, you know, kind of just reassess and, and change and get back to what made me love the hobby. You know, yeah, rekindle that affair, bro. Yeah, the chase gets old and it gets tired, and eventually you get burnt out. Um, and doing all that, I think it's it was just time to be like, okay, let me get back to the roots. And and going through some of the the carts that I have, um, you know, brought me back to that seeing some of my vintage cards and some of the cards from the you know the the nineties and the eighties that sometimes fly under the radar, but they, they had some really beautiful designs. And it's like the beauty of that and the joy that that brings versus the chase while it's fun could um, distract you from what it's all about. Yeah. Even though the chase is part of it, you know, but at the end of the day, like um, you can get caught up in that. Oh, so it's just, you know? Yeah, no. And then it, it, it's, it's the lottery ticket aspect you talked about is real. You know, um, I, I, you know, if it was just about collecting cards, I would go to Target and pick up a box of Tops Update every weekend and be fine. But, you know, that's at times it's not enough, even though that those those Tops Black Golds and Update were actually pretty cool. But boy, that's a lot of money to waste for one card per blaster. Anyway, (laughs) um, the, uh, you know, the, the nostalgia part, I mean, that's, that's what hooked us as kids. I mean, the love of, the cards is what hooked us as kids. And then the, the nostalgia part is what brought us back as adults, or at least in my case, brought me back as an adult. And it's, um, you know, that when you hold, I mean, my, one of my favorite cards, I have a 1952 Bowman Ralph Kiner and uh, whoever owned it before I did apparently stuck it to their wall with a uh, scotch tape. So <laughs> the back of the car, there's like a perfect swipe away from the car, away from the back of the card. And it's like a perfect stripe of scotch tape. Um, again, it's a, virtually worthless card but it's my favorite card in the world it's it's just amazing to look at saying wow imagine the, the hands this has passed through the you know just the, the joy it might have brought someone when they opened the pack exactly you know, 50, 70 that, years that ago card, it's amazing that card has character so like yeah we get caught up in man that card's not gonna grade well but that <laughs> card has a story to tell man like that was yeah. on somebody's wall and and that tape represents like somebody had that hanging up because they love that. And they woke up every day and they saw like, there's just who knows where that card has been and stuff like cards have character, man. And, yeah. and you don't, you know, that's what I was talking about. Like it just kind of, you get caught up in the, Oh, is that card going to grade a 10? Oh, is this going to be the, and it's like, Oh man, like I get it. That that's all like, about investing and doing, but what about just all the other stuff that we're missing? And, yeah. and that's what I want to reconnect with. Yeah. So I would call it the spiritual side of collecting, if you will. Yes. You got to <laughs> keep it Zen. It, it, if you're not having fun anymore, what are we doing? Right. Yeah. And I, I literally stopped having fun. Um, and I was just like, listen, I, I know what I like. I just got to get back to it because like I said, like I was just not having fun. I just wasn't. And it's too strong of a connection. It's been a part of my life for too long, um, off and on since, you know, being a kid where um, I can't just walk away completely. I never could do that. Even when I wasn't collecting 
between the years of like 2008 to uh, 2017, 2018, I was still like, if I'd be in Target or Walmart and I'd be with the kids or something, I'd still grab a blaster here and there. Like, even when I wasn't collecting, I was still, because you just can't, I didn't know what I was chasing back then, but just the the fun of opening it and and looking at the cards, I mean, it's always going to be a part of, you know, the the kids that grew up in our generation that we grew up with, you know what I mean? Now the kids, they're growing up with card breaks, so it's a little bit different. Like you don't get the the thrill of necessarily opening the pack anymore and and pulling it yourself. But you know, the the it's all evolving, and and that's all good. But um, I just don't want to miss out on all those other things. Just uh, chasing the investments and the big hit. Oh, did we lose you? No, I'm here. Okay, no, and then that's you know. there, I guess a, a place for everything and everything in its place. There's always going to be a, you know, the part that, oh my God, you know, every pack you open, you might pull a big one, but I guess the ability to just kind of enjoy it, enjoy the little things too. And it's the parallels here. And then when I said it before, if you're not having fun, what are we really doing anyway? That applies to everything. For me, if I'm not having fun and my heart's not in it, you know, you could pretty much just check me out. Like that's just how I kind of live. And that's true of fault sometimes, but that's another conversation for another day. But, you know, I kind of try to apply that to everything. And with cards, I mean, that's the stuff that brings me back. Like, oh, yeah, I didn't pull an autograph out of this little box I bought. But you know what? I got this pretty cool looking card. Look at, you know, Juan McGarris giving me a freaking Shaka sign or something. That's awesome. Like, you know, it's the the little things. Exactly. Got to appreciate the little things um, and take take the big hits when you can get them. Right? <laughs> Goddamn right. Yo, you have, um, I know you guys have a little business venture up around your neck of the woods. You want to go ahead and plug piece of the game? Yeah, sure. Um, piece of the game just opened up at Whopper just falls. It's a beautiful, absolutely beautiful, um, card shop, a LCS, but we call it a luxury card shop, not a hey. card shop. And, uh, um, I mean, you just got to, be there and go check it out because I, I guarantee you it's like nothing you've ever seen uh, before. It's just a beautiful setup, a big giant 10 foot TV screen playing sports while you can rip open cards. I mean, um, it's just beautiful. So check it out on, you know, Instagram. Uh, I believe it's piece of the game on Instagram and at piece of the game and at piece of the game one on Twitter. Um, but there's videos there. There's, you know, photos of the shops. And if you're ever in the Wapture Falls, New York area, it's right up in Wapture Falls, New York. It's called Piece of the Game. And it is absolutely worth the trip if you're within, like, I would say an hour drive. Even further than that, if you're going to go. But um, definitely got to check it out if you're, like, within an hour. Well, I, was, I had plans of coming up. And then uh, COVID, you know, Reemerged in a, in, a, in a pretty concerning way. So I, that's rain checked, but I, I'm going to be up there very soon and I can't wait to come check it out, man. Yeah. They're going to start rolling out some, uh, you know, some grand opening type festivities in the new year. Um, they didn't do a ton during the holidays, but the doors are open there and then, you know, look for more events and stuff like that. Um, because there's going to be a lot of great stuff coming out of that location. And Timmy, when you're up, you know, I'm going to meet you over there. We'll rip in a box. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, man, we're going to Monster Hits Club and Pulling Hits. We'll have to link up once again. We might even have to make it a break weekend. Exactly. We'll have to go live on Instagram oh or something. Can you imagine our friends in the hobby Twitter seeing us jump on unannounced? Like, come on, let's fill these breaks. Yeah, we're, we're doing it. <laughs> we're doing it. Mark, mark it on the calendars. All right, buddy. Exactly. I thank you again for coming on. Uh, thank you for filling us all in on what's happening here and just kind of shooting the breeze. This is always a good time. Yeah, I love coming on to me. So thank you again. Happy New Year to you and your listeners. And uh, I'll talk to you soon, hopefully. All right, buddy. We will definitely talk soon. And all right, everyone, we will see you guys next week. Um, I believe we're going to have our Hall of Fame episode coming up soon. So keep an eye out for that. And uh, you know the sign off. Let's fucking go Mets. Hopefully we get some news on that front too soon. We'll talk to you guys soon. Peace.